one key learning for people in, in tech, because we tend to forget about it, uh, I would start from that, is always when you're talking with people, to be able to connect and and empath and and be empathetic against them and um, and connect deeply with them, but also be able to challenge uh, directly. Uh, welcome, Alex. Hey, Valle. It's good to be here. Yeah. Um, Alex, can you give us a little bit uh, some context about your background? Uh, introduce yourself probably more properly and uh, give us some basic understanding about uh, what Chili Pepper does. Of course. Yeah, I think you did a very good job of describing my background, but happy to provide more context. So I started my, well, I don't know if it makes sense to go even before the my, my tech background, but let's start from the moment that I jumped into the tech industry that happened at Workable. I think both of us know uh, Workable uh, quite well. Yeah. It's, a, uh, it's an impressive Greek tech company. And I started my journey there as a sales rep, as an SDR. Um, then I moved to handle mainly inbound uh, leads as an inbound SDR uh, before I jumped to Chili Piper. Uh, I started as a sales rep there, a senior sales rep, uh, the first one for EMEA, and then progressed to become a partner manager, head of tech partnerships, uh, and now I'm the director of strategic partnerships and ecosystem marketing. What we mean with that, by that, because it's the partnership terminology is a bit hard to translate. Uh, so let me do a bit more explaining. What, what I mean by strategic partnerships is that we, I run all our product partnerships, starting from our integration partnerships and also more embedded bundle partnerships we have with other tech tools. And I also run our events uh, globally and part of partner marketing. Um, so that's my role right now regarding Chili Piper. Um, Chili Piper is... Well, it's, it's even hard to define exactly the category because we do a bit of scheduling and a bit of routing in a way. Um, so, you know, you've seen all these forms when you visit a, a vendor website where it says get a demo or contact sales. What Silly Piper does is it sits behind these forms and when somebody fills that form, we just help them book a meeting right away upon form submission. And we also help with scheduling, outbound scheduling, inbound scheduling, SDR to account detect scheduling and routing needs. Uh, of, of of our customers. And besides that Chili Piper part, I also, like you mentioned, I run EMEA for partnership leaders, which is a number one uh, partnership community out there. So I help them expand and support the EMEA region. Great, great. So I guess, Alex, you you received this kind of analogy or this kind of question in my head. So I think that I have made this question in the past. Um, so what's what's the difference between Chili Pepper and um, and Calendly? Is it is it the Calendly for the sales teams, the, the Calendly for the revenue teams? Is is this a right analogy or missing something? So I would say Calendly is an agnostic, industry agnostic and size agnostic scheduling tool that even freelancers can use and generally well uh, anybody could use Calendly. Our focus right now are customer-facing teams. I wouldn't say just sales teams, but also account managers. Well, you can say that in some companies, this is mostly a sales team. In other companies, you'd say that account managers are most more closely to CS. But we deal with any any customer-facing team where there is a need for more robust scheduling, a, a, a very a stronger integration with Salesforce, routing rules between booking meetings. So for example, when an SDR wants to book a meeting for an account executive, 
we know that they want to expect some routing logic and a round robin logic and our tool supports that so when an sdr is about to book a meeting for an account executive we tell this sdr who's the next in line to take the meeting respecting any kind of rule set that, that the customer wants to set so we just we're a more collaborative uh, scheduling tool if if that um you know so 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 probably the, the the main value added the main differentiation is that the routing part and the integration with the major sales tools out there like uh, sales loft uh, i suppose uh, gong and, uh, and others um yeah of course we also have two tools that can can support it now which is concierge this is the embedded uh forms form uh, scheduling tool uh, which can work with any kind of form while Calendly has some limitations around that. Um, and uh, also we have Distro, which is the intuitive routing platform. So let's say that you have 100 accounts on your Salesforce. You, you can just click a button and distribute them to, to 10 or 20 reps or however many reps you want based on rule set as well, without the scheduling, just mm -hmm. routing and like scholarship based on, on, on distribution rules. So these are also like tools that Calendly doesn't support. But we're also launching a, a, a freemium tool like Calendly soon. It's going to be called Chilical. It's going live uh, about one or two quarters from now, uh, I believe. And this will also support every kind of use case around scheduling. Like freelance scheduling will be free to use. So um, can't wait for that. So is this because you think that there is you know, some, some market for you on the Calendly side, or you want to expand your customer base outside the typical revenue teams? So which, which of these two cases? I would say Calendly is trying to move up market as well. Right now, trying to build mm. a bit more functionality around scheduling and routing. And it's normal. They've seen that we had a big part of the market to capture, and we want to go and, and capture their market as well. But the, the driving reasons for that isn't only being competitive against Calendly, but it's also uh, has it also has to do with our will to become a PLG uh, company, meaning that we want to support mm -hmm. uh, any kind of size company size, starting from the SMB size, where they might have like part of our functionality for free, um, both on the scheduling part and the routing part. And as they grow, they can go into uh, uh, a better functionality by paying more. So we're shifting our business model to a platform where you can start cheap and grow up and pay more as you, as you require more features. Mm -hmm. So it's both, both staying competitive with the market, but also improving, uh, yeah, uh, remodeling our, our, our pricing strategy and, and platform strategy in a way. Nice. And so can you give us a little bit, I mean, tell us, how did you finally decide to join uh, Chili Pepper? What, what, was, what was the thing that you saw in the team, in the product, in the, the journey, in the vision that, uh, you know, made you this, you know, this, this uh, decision that, uh, you know, to, to, to join them? Yeah, well, I, I, it's funny because I actually made the case for Chili Piper back when I was in Workable. That's how I found out the tool. Because I, as I mentioned, I was an inbound SDR, meaning that I was handling our demo requests. Uh, and uh, I remember having a Salesforce dashboard that I had to refresh all the time to see what's coming in. And then we had a, an internal like native Salesforce native routing logic, but it wasn't the best experience for reps, I would say back then. So we had to refresh a dashboard and like 
pick and grab accounts that were coming in and then find the account, give them a call. And it wasn't a perfect process. So I found out that the tool out there can actually automate it. So when somebody's requesting a demo, you create the lead on, like Chili Piper creates the lead on Salesforce. Uh, it helps them book a meeting right away. There's no need for back and forth emails, manual calls, nothing like that. When somebody asks for a demo, they get to book it as well. So I just thought of myself, I envisioned myself as a rep, just sleeping and getting meetings booked on my calendar. It was, it was incredible, right? It was amazing as a rep back then. I made a case for that. I don't know why it didn't go through, but I liked the tool a lot and I applied for a role there and I just made the shift and started working. So, 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 so you made the perfect fit because you were the customer, you, you envisioned yourself by using the product. So that's why probably you, you became an ambassador of the, of the product at the moment. Um, how, how did the team start the whole thing? I mean, the, the Chili Pepper team. I mean, uh, give us a little bit some, some ideas uh, about you know, the timeline, the, the, the storyline of the um, of the product and of the team, of course, of the company. Yeah, so I'd say Nicholas and Alina had started another company before that was doing something like an inbox for sales reps. Uh, it wasn't going well, and there were some big competitors in the market, so they tried to make something different. And, I, and they asked one of their very loyal customers, what, what does he need? Like they actually went out and said, hey, what do you need? We want to create something. What would you need? And that lady said that she needs something that uh, makes the, her apps respect routing queues and logic because she had, she had a lot of complaints from AEs that leads aren't being routed correctly. Uh, and she mentioned that we built a tool that was the first version of what we call today Handoff, which is the SDR to account executive Handoff. We found a market for that. And about two years later, in 2018, they built Concierge, which is the form conversion tool. We practiced it with Segment, if I'm not mistaken, as a first customer. They they did an A-B test. They found out that with Concierge, they were converting like 200% more or some, something crazy. And, uh, and it just moved forward and became customers. And since then, it was like the growth was huge. It was such a cheap product, very easy to pitch, and companies really needed that. We got Facebook Meta as a customer soon after uh, with a huge ACV, as you can imagine, a huge, huge uh, contract value. And from there, yeah, it was it, it just a constant growth journey for, for the team. Great journey. So within seven or less years, they managed to go from zero into how many customers, I mean, any, any data that we can say with us in terms of number of uh, customers, number of uh, users, revenues, well, we just understand the, the size of the business. We have about 20,000 customers and we're closing down to 30 million. Right. And you said that among these customers, you have also customers like Meta and other tech leaders out there. But um, somebody would probably would wonder how Meta and Facebook uses Chili Pepper. I mean, what's the use case for them? Well, Meta has also has a SaaS tool called Workspace, which is a Slack version of, yeah. of Meta. So they also, they, they need to sell that and they need to uh, get in touch with customers and they have big customer facing teams. So the workspace team is the one that's using um, Piper. So even Facebook, even Meta has inside sales team who practically that, that does this. You know, routing rules, the, the same thing that when somebody wants to book a call with workspace to get a demo, uh, they use Piper to route it let the person schedule actually the meeting and respect calendar logic and, and 
everything that Survivor does, basically. Uh, because if you think of the actual core value prop of our of our product, it's it makes sense even if you're a fast-growing 30-people startup and even if you're an enterprise with 200,000 employees, yeah. like, you still need yeah. routing logic and, and scheduling. But I'm asking this specifically about Facebook and about Meta, about these large enterprises, huge enterprises, because I think that generally the, uh, the perception is that these you know, very well-established players, um, they use only PNG, they have all inbound, so they don't have any typical uh, sales process in place. What, what, what are your thoughts on this? What, what is the, actually the, the situation out there in, even for these um, leaders? I, I don't think that... Do they rely heavily on, uh, on PLG? Do they have uh, sales teams? Uh, first of all, do you agree with this perception that exists in the market that most of these well-established businesses, uh, software businesses, rely mainly on uh, PLG? Um, your thoughts and what is the, the reality? Yeah, my thoughts are that uh, when you're... Depends on, on what growth stage you're in. Uh, I think you should be able to offer PLG to when you're looking uh, to, SM, to the SMB segment and maybe even mid-market at, at times. But even as meta, when you have uh, McDonald's as a customer, for example, like it's crucial that you're able to support them through a sales-led motion. It's I don't believe that the whole McDonald's leadership would rely on on some banners, enough banners to help them understand everything. Like of course they they need some more close uh, support. So I would say PLG when you start with the SMB, SMB and like even freelance market and like individual, um, just individuals using your, your product, you start with, with PLG. And as you grow up market, definitely sales-led motion should have a place there. At least how we stand right now, where if, if AI gets 100 times better and we have bots talking to us like humans, yeah, maybe you can replace that that sales-led motion with a bot or something, but I don't think we are, we're there yet. And also leadership in Fortune 100 companies, they still come from a more traditional background, many people uh, out of their leadership. So you, you, should, you should still have also a more traditional approach in sales. Uh, so you require that human task, I believe, right now. As the, as the world progresses, maybe at some point, we won't need it anymore, but we're far from that, I believe. Based on your experience, Alex, because I think that's uh, that's always a very important and very useful topic, especially for uh, you know, real estate founders who are building something new and they are planning their go-to-market strategy. So do you think that there is a, some specific threshold of its contract value in terms of um, company size that you can move from PLG to uh, sales-led motion? Um, it has to do with uh, the vertical company size, the, the uh, you know the, the typology of the product. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, when, you, when, when is the right time to move from PLG to sales lead? Um, there, there is no right answer on that because it really depends on the case and the tool and everything. So, and that's why we will need to look back. There is a reason that somebody that starts a company needs to be entrepreneurial. And uh, there is not also a formula for everything. I think you need to sense the market in a way and understand what makes sense. If you try to mm -hmm. put a formula on everything, you just 
you kill very important time, you know, especially early stage, you need to have that entrepreneurial spirit guiding you and saving you time. And sometimes you need to have the instinct for the instinct for the market. So it depends on the case, it depends on the tool, it depends what you're targeting. But I believe generally, yeah, no, I, I can't give an answer. It depends on the case. It's really, it depends where you started, where you're going, what are the competitors doing, like many, many different parameters. But based on what you have seen through your experience at Silver and uh, your experience at WorldCup, when did you move from PLG to sales motion? Uh, for Chili Piper, it was sales-led since day one. We never had PLG. We had a crazy journey because companies right now start with PLG and then move to, to support sales-led motion, mostly, I would say. We started sales-led day, from day one. We're just launching a PLG tool right now. Um, and that's because PLG companies started coming after us in a way. And we also need to diversify our, 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 our platform and our offering a bit. So in our case, it was it was a bit weird because we started supporting uh, sales led and then moved to PLG. With Workable, it was the opposite journey, if I remember well. I don't, I wasn't part of that team in these very early stages. But I think Workable started as a PLG solution where people just could just sign up and like post a job and then move to support a more sales led journey and then move back to PLG again. You know, it's a constant quest of finding the right uh, structure uh, to, yeah. to support your offerings. I would say. Um, and that depends a lot on the executive team to always like, again, have the instincts for the market, understand the market and, and, and also data plays a part, of course, uh, as you're growing. Um, so yeah, data and, and that, that's, that, that's super interesting. As you said, I think that there is no any, any formula that uh, needs to be followed because if there was such a formula, most of the companies would follow and they would be successful. Yeah. But what is really interesting is that. Most of the businesses and most of the founders, uh, the early stage B2B SaaS founders at least, they think and they have as a principle that they should start with a PLG motion and then uh, to go up market and um, start with a uh, move to the sales led motion. But it's really interesting that Chili Pepper, a sales tech tool, which is the definition of a B2B SaaS and, you know, works for the sales apps and the revenue teams, so practically they have the revenue teams internally. They started the other way. They started from the sales led motion, and then you moved to, you became successful with the sales led motion. You managed to build a big and different company in the market, and then you moved to, to build. I think it's, that's something super interesting. Um, so, what's, what's the plan now? I mean, uh, if. Uh, Regarding the go-to-market strategy, what, how did it start and how this uh, strategy and how the go-to-market tactics uh, uh, have evolved, have been evolved during these last uh, five, six years? So over the last years, we also had the pleasure of becoming a super cool brand, a recognized brand out there. Uh, when you hear Chili Piper, you usually think of something fun fresh you know so that has helped us a lot and usually we we get a pretty heavy inbound traffic organically uh like our biggest part the biggest part of our inbound is actually organic it doesn't come from paid or uh, like this uh, more fancy marketing channels it just comes organically and what when we try to break down organic uh we found out two things that uh, a lot of uh, People come just because they've heard about us on LinkedIn and, you know, everything that comes out of that freshness that I'm talking about. But also a big part is coming from a different kind of 
PLG, uh, which has been supporting us for years. Just because that's the scheduling function is something that's facing two sides, both on the scheduler part and the person that's being scheduled for. So, you know, the, the person booking the meeting and the, the person that's hosting the meeting. So every time that uh, somebody is visiting a, a customer's website and is trying to ask for a demo, uh, we pop up the scheduling function and let them book the demo with the vendor. But we also show that it's powered by Chili Piper. So when buyers see that super nice experience of like asking for a demo and getting to book it at the same time in five seconds, uh, they're like, oh, I want it in my company. So they click on the Power by Chili Piper and end up in our website and ask for a demo. So these two channels have been proved like extremely valuable for us. Uh, and it's it's part of the of that organic growth when it comes to inbound. And then when it comes to go-to-market as an umbrella term, we also still have a, a heavy sales-led motion with a group of SDRs that are doing awesome job. Uh, and a big group of account executives that keep on closing deals uh, and supporting that, that sales-led motion. So, and then we also have partners, which is my segment, that are that are just amplifying, enhancing everything we do at the company, from inbound to outbound, like any, everything. Practically, you have branding, which actually works as a PLG, and uh, you know, helps you with inbound. You have the typical sales-led motion and the typical insights and inside sales team, I suppose. And then also you have the partnerships. So three different pillars of go-to-market and growth strategy. Any any insights that you can share with us on the revenue distribution? I mean, which channel brings what percentage of the revenue or of the, of the paying customers? I think uh, if you look at it on a year uh, over year uh, basis, we started by being 80% sales led. As we build our brand, we started uh, shifting that. So I think right now, if we look at the median over the last months, it should be around 50-50. Partnerships acts like an enhancement above uh, inbound and outbound. So we help on both sides, uh, but it's not a separate channel right now, just a, um, an enhancement of the current channels. Out of this one, but I, I would say that partners touch approximately 50% of our revenue uh, in a way or another. Nice. Interesting. And um, Alex, regarding the sales-led motion, the, the inside sales team that you have, do you use some specific uh, framework, some specific playbook? So if you can walk us through a little bit on uh, you know, the steps and the process that you have in place or the practice that you think that you should share with uh, other uh, SaaS fellows and um, sales tech, uh, uh, you know, founders and uh, professionals. Yeah, um, I might have an unpopular opinion on, on that, but generally, I, I was a sales rep and I was kind of being bombarded with all these tactics. Uh, I don't remember. The, I don't remember the names, uh, like band and uh, medic. Right. I mean, it's a nice structure when you're a junior, but as you're growing, you need to just not think about tactics, but think about you being a human and connecting with another human. That That's the most important thing. And especially through these tough times, like buyers don't want to spend hours of their day being asked discovery questions and again and again and being qualified. They just want, want to see what they want to see. So the, the tool. 
Uh, I think back when I was I started working as a sales rep, it was a bit different. Maybe it was important to do a bit of discovery. There was just a lot of noise in the industry. Right now, the education uh, content out there is everywhere. So you can go to G2, understand what the tool that you're looking into does. And when you're actually ready to ask for a demo, buyers are much more enabled than 2019, 2018. Much more enabled. Like you just create an extra step and you tire them along the journey if you ask them a million questions. Uh, our SDR team is trying to be educational. We're trying to educate the people out there that don't know about Silpiper, about what Silpiper does. We do it in a super personalized way. Uh, we go on their website, show them exactly what the experience would be by using Silpiper, the end experience. And if that resonates, they want to ask for a demo. We'll do the basic qualification. We're going to see if it's an account that we can sell to because we only sell to Salesforce and HubSpot accounts, uh, CRM users. Uh, if they're not on Salesforce or HubSpot, we cannot sell to them. So we'll do the very basic qualification. Uh, and if it's qualified, we'll just book a meeting directly with an account executive. We'll use Silpiper for that. So it's extremely fast. We've done, yeah, over... Um, I don't know. We, 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 it doesn't take a lot of time to do that. So once we book that demo, our account executives, again, will come in. They will ask about the current process, what they're using to make it more relevant, and then let's, they'll show the tool. But we, we don't just drag people over several calls and like ask for a, a solutions in here. And then, uh, I don't know, a CSM, yeah. what onboarding would look like. We just want to, yeah. to provide that value and show the, the buyers what they want to see, basically, and so be supportive. Uh, and we've seen that it works a lot because, again, buyers in nowadays, uh, in nowadays, they're much more educated than five, six years ago. Um, yeah. So, but I mean, how, how do you see your, you know, your more junior reps, you know, um, practically adopting the uh, the process that you are following? Because as you said, you don't follow any specific framework. You think that that was more relevant for, uh, you know, back in the day. But I suppose you still work with some junior reps. You still work with some reps who work remotely. How do you make sure that all these reps, you know, are fully aligned? You know, they can use the right qualification questions. Or, so if it's not about qualification, they can do the demo properly. How do you make sure that all the reps, all the team members, not of course you, but as an organization, I'm, I'm asking because I know that this is not part, strictly part of your role. But how does a company like Silly Pepper make sure that all the reps, considering that there is some sales-led um, uh, motion in place, all the reps um, are fully aligned, use the right information, uh, use the right process, use the right ploys probably or tactics um, without having a framework or without uh, having a playbook in place. Yeah, so I would separate my answer on two things, uh, on the account executive side and the SDR side, because it's different. First of all, we don't hire junior account executives. Uh, we sometimes promote an SDR to account executive, but by then they're already more than ready to, to join that role. But when we hire directly on the account executive level, we always hire senior people. Uh, so they know the basics. They just want to get more familiar with Silly Piper, understand the product, uh, our demo structure, what we do, which is not brain science. It's a simple product that provides huge value. So it's not hard to demo it or pitch it. On the SDR level, when we hire new SDRs, uh, we have an ongoing playbook that's been going well for years. And like we have already made cadences that work and they work very well. So I think the personalization comes on the objection handling mainly. 
and how do we answer objections and we crowdsource knowledge. We have Slack groups where uh, people that are dealing with a specific objection and they're new to the team, they would ask and crowdsource opinions. We're just being extremely helpful to each other and we keep that knowledge either on an internal tool that we use, which is Guru, uh, or uh, even on Slack, so you can still search for things and understand that. But we usually, again, it's it's either on the objection handling or also on the live calling part. So when somebody's doing a call, call obviously more support. And I think we, we we're trialing a tool for that that does uh, multi-calling and people can help each other and collaborate with each other on cold calls. Uh, so I think that's it. It's it's mainly support within the team, like senior team members supporting more junior team members. But it's not brain science. I I want to repeat that. Like mm-hmm. Mostly getting yeah. uh, understanding the market a, a bit, and that leads you to become a better objection handler and also better on the phone. So it's more crucial to me to understand your market, uh, you, your technology, your value prop as a sales rep versus just. Uh, figuring out what's the best qualification method to use, like band or medic or whatever it is. And I heavily disagree with my early managers on that segment where they were like, you don't need to know the product. Like, forget about the product. You don't need it. Oh, absolutely. If you want, if you're dreaming about the career in the tech industry, learn your product. And if you don't, if you don't need to learn the ins and outs and understand everything, but you need to learn what your product does, what's the value prop, go in, play a bit around that. SDRs are not robots. They need to understand the segment, the industry. Uh, in order to be more relevant when they're talking to their reps. It's not inside sales like it used to be 20 years ago and what it is today in the companies that we all know, like the telephone companies or the, uh, the power supply companies that are just doing the worst cold calls ever. We need to be human beings and connect. And that's the number one goal. Uh, it's not learning a qualification strategy or method. And, and Alex, how do you make sure that the reps and the teams and the account executives, of course, as you said, it's a different story about SDRs and a different story about account executives, but at least on the account executive side, how do, side, how do you make sure that, you know, they have this human element, as you described, they, they know the market, they understand the, uh, their customer, uh, they know their ICP inside out. Is it about uh, training? Is it about knowledge setting? Is it about using some tools? Uh, have you seen any any tool or any process or any methodology that actually you know made a big difference in the um, in the uh, onboarding process of account executives or on on the performance of uh, the account executives? Yeah, Gong is what we're using internally has been extremely helpful because you when when a new AE starts. You can share 20 calls with them that are more the most relevant calls that you had the specific objection or another objection. How do you do demos? What's uh, one of the hardest calls? You know, just different cases that they can understand. For me as a rep, it was extremely useful listening to cold calls and demos to also get better in my uh, sales skills in a way. I think it was the most useful part of my onboarding back then. So key key element here is to record the calls, to ask the consent from the, uh, the prospects and record the calls exactly. well, and share, categorize these calls and share the, with the rest of the teams, yeah, the rest of the team members. I, I think most people start thinking about recording calls and getting content from calls for onboarding reasons. But if you think about what's the value that these calls provide on a larger scale when you're looking at like two years of calls with probably hundreds of prospects, 
it's extremely powerful. Like for me as a as a director of partnerships, I just go there, type down an integration partner. I type down uh, where like sales loft, and I can see how many calls was sales loft mentioned. What was the context where it was mentioned? I can look up for extremely important and useful intel. Uh, so it's 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 very helpful. I have, uh, because I have discussed about going quite uh, quite a few times in the past with uh, other, you know, sales tech professionals. Do you think that there are some markets, because I remember back in the day, not back in the day, probably one year or two years ago, I remember I was receiving this kind of feedback that in some markets, especially in the European markets with, you know, more strict uh, GDPR rules and uh, everything, it's extremely difficult in some markets, like in Germany, for example, to record the calls with the prospects. Do you have you have you seen this, this this kind of struggle, or do you have any any practice on how the reps can overcome this kind of uh, obstacle? So just because I'm not a, an actual sales, sales rep dealing with that right now, I'm only able to see the larger uh, picture, and we haven't seen that as a huge issue as a company. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe at times some people are a bit wary of being recorded, but it's not a big issue for us right now. Um, Although you target the European market, so yeah, 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 you work with you companies globally, it hasn't proven a big issue. Uh, prospects to a landing page before uh, getting on the call because we want to let them know that they're going to be recorded before joining the Zoom. We consider the um, that voice coming into Zoom saying your call is being recorded. As maybe some people find it a bit. Uh, weird or like they're not ready prepare for that so we want to notify them they're being recorded even before jumping on zoom and we've seen that this is this provides a nice experience for nice another topic that we usually discuss with founders or with um, you know sales um, executives especially as they grow the business as they are growing the, the commercial teams more particularly uh, is the use of experts the use of uh, agencies when they are trying to cut up the market, so instead of trying to hire people, instead of uh, uh, trying to train people, they rely on some experts, some consultants who can also bring some service uh, component on the sales process and the good market process, more particularly. Have you have you discussed this in the past? Have you seen this in the past? Have you seen? Have you any uh, good or bad experience to, to share with us? Working with uh, um, advisors, uh, professionals, agencies. Yeah, I would say every now and then we've worked with some people. I don't know what exactly our founders did early stage, but I joined as employee number 60, so I can speak from my experience since then. Uh, we mainly outsource manual admin work, so not on the consultant level, but, but more on the fractional admin level in a way, or like some people helping out with more basic work. Sometimes we've worked with external agencies, run a, a few pilots. We haven't seen crazy big impact on anything yet. That's why we don't continue working with specific uh, consultants or agencies right now. Um, and we've also worked with some freelancers just for a few projects, Or, but it's very ad hoc and like we rarely do that. And the main reason for that is that we haven't seen huge value, but... Um, on, on the other level, where where because we as I mentioned, we very rarely hire junior people. We we try to hire very smart and, and senior people that can come in and help on a strategic level instantly. When we when we are looking for something more administrative in a way or like early or more more junior tasks tasks, either buy a tool or or outsource it to um, 
freelancer. That's how we work, and that's how it's been from day one in Chile Piper. And Alex, the areas that you have tried to use some consultants and advisors and outsourcers, what uh, what were these areas? Was it uh, about you know um, sales, fund uh, executive, or was it something different? It was about PLG, about marketing. What was the area that uh, you explored? I, I would say we did they have the expected results. Yeah, we've explored a bit on the performance marketing side. We've explored a bit mm-hmm. on on the sales operation side and helping out with account distribution and like things like that. Uh, but mainly I would say on the marketing side, we, we've, we've trialed a few things uh, over the uh, last years. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's kind of like, even product marketing, like for specific projects, again, like it depends. Uh, yeah. AI, we didn't touch AI so far. So how do you think that, how do you see AI, you know, actually, affecting the sales tech space in more general, because practically um, Chili Pepper boils down into this category of sales tech. How do you see AI and machine learning affecting this uh, this space? Uh, well, it will be a whole other world in a few years, I believe. So we're just experiencing the first steps of AI into sales. Um, as, as practitioners right now and operators, uh, we're mainly using AI to replace more uh, manual uh, work. So that's how we use it right now. But if I had to project how it will go in the future, it's just reducing more and more. So for example, I mentioned qualification methods in before. I think like all these, all, all these manual, wherever there is a formula, it will be replaced by AI. Wherever there is a human touch and human connection, it will continue being the, the human connection for a few years uh, more. I don't know. Again, maybe we'll talk about a different kind of AI where they understand emotions and like, but this is uh, far from now, I believe. So I think we will start by replacing anything that has a formula for from qualification methods, for example, to whatever, like email structure and like wherever there is a formula right now, it will be replaced by AI. Uh, and wherever there is not a formula, it depends on human connection, emotions, like this kind of emotional selling, I think it will continue being the, the norm for the next five to 10 years, I'd say. So, so do you think that the market will be increased or will be decreased in terms of revenue side, in terms of employee side? Do you see that after three, four, five years, we'll have more sales reps or less sales reps? Do you think that we'll have a bigger sales tech pie or a smaller sales tech pie? I would say we would have to look at it from the from the sales team size perspective. I think that uh, there will not be a need for very junior sales reps. Um, this will be easily replaced by uh, AI, and reps would have to be pushed towards a, a closing path where you require that human connection uh, and all that, or down the CS path because CS and customer retention will continue being a heavily customer-facing, uh, like human connection uh, part of of running a business. Uh, so I think there will be a shift from early stage sales down to CS. So when somebody's starting as a junior in a company, maybe they will go down the support path and like being able to support customers with some and get used to talking with customers and then maybe move down the sales path or continue down the CS path. Um, so that's a shift I'm, I'm envisioning 
I think it will happen. Nobody knows. Let's see. Uh, so, Alex, before we wrap up, um, one, two, three key takeaways from your journey, from the lessons that you have received so far from your experience that you would like to share with other SaaS executives, uh, SaaS founders, um, anything that, you know, the one, two, three uh, key things that, you know, uh, you think that you should share as a key point uh, with the community here. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading a book lately that's called Radical Candor. I think it's quite a popular book. Uh, one, one key learning for people in, in tech, because we tend to forget about it, uh, I would start from that, is always when you're talking with people, to be able to connect and and, empath, and, and be empathetic against them and, um, and connect deeply with them, but also be able to challenge uh, directly and that's incredibly important to remember when you're making human connections either internally in your company or also talking externally with other people um, and the other thing is that we need to remind ourselves constantly that we work in the tech business and the tech industry is all about innovation we need to be innovative it's not only about uh, and we made a post on, on LinkedIn with Silk Piper recently about that. It's not only about covering your customer needs today and running behind that, but also envisioning what this customer needs will be in the future. So it's all about innovation. Constantly, whatever your role is, from NSDR to NA to marketing, like product, whatever, just always think about innovation. Always innovate, both in your daily routine, but also when it comes to the product and like envisioning new paths for, for your product. I think these are the two main things. On a personal level, human personal level, uh, just try to always connect deeply with people and like be a human and, and care deeply about people, but also always remember to challenge directly. And because sometimes we tend to be nicer. Well, nice is a bad word, but we, we, we tend not to say what we're thinking. And that creates a huge, um, huge issues internally on the collaboration front. So very important to, to, to care deeply, but challenge directly. And also always think about innovation uh, being in the tech journey. I like, I like this combination. Alex, thank you so much. Thank you really so much uh, for sharing all this insight with us. Uh, we really appreciate this. Same here. Bye. Thank you for having me.